It is, as I said last week, wonderful to be back. And I'm saying that even after a full week of work. So that's a good thing. I was a little nervous when Richard wasn't here last week. I didn't think that boded well, but he came back, so all is, all is well. It is wonderful to be back in this beautiful place with transcendent music, moving prayers, and your gorgeous faces. And it's fun to be back in the pulpit. I missed you all. Three months is a long time to be away. Long enough for some of you who were not well to get better, and long enough for some to have left us. That is the joy and the sorrow of being part of a tight-knit community, isn't it? A lot can happen in three months. I've shared with many of you that for me, it really and truly was a time of rest, even if new puppy Hattie made some nights not particularly restful. And it was a time of deep reconnection. Like Richard during his sabbatical, I took the opportunity very intentionally to be with my family and to be with friends who are like family. Friends who have known me my entire adult life. Friends who stood witness for Don and me when we made our wedding vows 32 years ago. Friends who were with me at my ordinations. Friends who knew my mother. Friends who love our children. The kind of friends who can be very rare and precious when you spend so much of your adult life moving from place to place. Friends who are like family. Or as we say at my house, family without the baggage. After this time away and spending so much of it with these precious folks, I couldn't help but ponder this idea of found family, or as sociologists and anthropologists call it, chosen family, when I was reflecting on the idea of adoption in today's text from Paul's letter to the Romans. The experts who study family structures and systems see chosen family fulfilling many needs. Perhaps it is a way to connect deeply with people when you are geographically separated from your family of origin. Or some may choose family figures to replace a role vacated by a too soon lost parent. I've been blessed to have a number of women step in this enormous space that was left by my mother's death. Or often, choosing family is a way to heal wounds and trauma that may have been inflicted by our biological families. My friends, too many of our LGBTQ siblings know this to be true.
chosen family are often the friends who love us unconditionally. They often share many of our deepest beliefs, they invite us to grow, and they show up for us in all aspects of life. We adopt people as family, don't we? Interestingly, well, interestingly to me, the ancient Hebrew people had no language for this. They had no word for adoption. It was not until the 20th century that the Hebrew language took on adopted, a word for adoption. So it's no surprise that there was no notion in Hebrew scripture that family could extend beyond the biological, not formally anyway. Bloodlines were paramount to belonging. Jesus had a few things to say about that. There are many who shy away from using family language regarding church. Family language can certainly be freighted, and family systems can certainly be messy. But personally, I don't know how we avoid it if we really listen to Jesus. Jesus himself tells his mother and brothers when they are an obstacle to his ministry that they are no longer his family. His followers are his family. From the cross, Jesus united the beloved disciple and his mother Mary as mother and son. Jesus constantly used familial language to talk about and to his followers, brothers and sisters, siblings. As Jesus' follower and a missionary, Paul had to look for ways to connect with the culture and the people he was evangelizing. How can he understand them so that they can understand the gospel? This is the challenge for every missionary throughout time. And it reminds me of one of the most remarkable stories in missiology that study of the missionary work of the church. There was a Canadian missionary named Don Richardson, and he went to live among, wait for it, headhunters in Indonesia in the 1960s. He was having no luck at all connecting the locals to the story of Jesus. He learned their language, he spent time with them, he could not figure out a way in until he realized that culturally, the people of that area related to Judas. To them, Judas represented some of their cultural norms, and he was actually the hero of the stories they were hearing, not Jesus. Crazy, right? So Don Richardson backed into the gospel message using Judas as the entry point 
until he could get them to understand that Jesus was the hero of the story. There's an amazing book called Peace Child that is an account of his time in Indonesia and his missionary achievement in spreading the good news of Christ to a remote corner of the world in a most unusual way. So that is what Paul has to do as well. Paul the missionary, he went not to headhunters, but to Gentiles, the Romans. How could he reach them? How could he get them to understand the good news of Jesus and that it was also meant for them? How could he get them an urban people, non-Jewish, so far away from the dusty paths that Jesus trod? How could Paul reach them? Paul had to convince the Romans that they did not first need to become Jewish before becoming followers of Christ. He had to convince them that they too could be co-inheritors of God's promises even when they were not children of the covenant, even when they had no traceable lineage to Abraham. How could they as Gentiles? My friends, how can we? Unlike Israel, adoption was an important part of ancient Roman culture. Wealthy families practiced adoption, sometimes even adopting adult men to guarantee succession if there was no male heir. I want to disavow you of anything you may be thinking about our common, our common current idea of adopting vulnerable babies and small children. These adopted children were privy to all of the rights and privileges of biological children, and even more because a biological child could be disowned, and by law, an adopted child could not. In ancient Roman culture, an adopted child received a new identity. Any prior commitments, responsibilities, and debts were canceled. New rights and responsibilities were taken on. And also in ancient Rome, the concept of inheritance was a part of life, not something that began at death. Being adopted made someone an heir to their father, a joint sharer in all possessions and fully united to the parent. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like a pretty solid entry point to me. Chosen family was already a vital part of the familial fabric of Roman society. Adoption was the perfect way for Paul to explain to the Romans what it meant to have a life in Christ, a fully welcomed and fully participatory life in Christ. Family language permeates this passage. Brothers and sisters, siblings, 
Abba, Father, heirs, children, adoption. How does that resonate with you? What does it mean to you to be adopted by God, to be a co-inheritor with Christ, a member of the family of Christ? What benefits does this chosen family of God, this chosen family of St. John's, impart? What difference does it make? I know it has made all the difference in my life. Through adoption, we are all children of God. Through adoption, we are joint heirs with Christ. Through the waters of baptism, we are buried with him in his death, and we share in his resurrection. Through adoption, we all have hope for what we do not, what we cannot yet see. Through adoption, my friends, we have found each other. We are a chosen family. Thanks be to God.